0: Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Standing 8. I'm Paul Fitzgerald. I'm Ben Damon. And I'm Jeff Fennick. Standing 8 is going to be a podcast series where we talk to a variety of different athletes, personalities and notorious identities from around the world. As it's our first episode, I thought we'd dive a little bit deeper into the life and times of Jeff Fennick, What it takes to be a three-time world champion.
1: I'm the whole three maybe.
0: And just get to know the real Jeff Fennick. So, um, let's kick it off.
1: How do you feel about that notorious identity, Jeff? Is that...
2: I um, think it's a part and parcel with boxing as you grow up, and everybody loves a fight. And so every every one of my fights, like George Freeman, everybody was there. I mean, all the, the old time Stan Smith, uh, everybody went went to watch me fight. And um, you don't not say hello to when they say hello. To you you, uh, you, yeah, you, call it, you you say hello. I mean, I remember the days when people talk about the Marfan and stuff in America. You don't tell me any of those fighters like the Joe Lewis, and they wouldn't have said hello to whoever it may have been, Al Capone whoever, you say hello and you you just treat people how they treat you. And those guys always treated me great, so I've got nothing bad to say about them.
1: Um, You and I have talked about this previously, but do you sort of feel that um, Australia's got back behind Jeff Fennick a little bit now? There was a period where it was sort of cool not to like Jeff Fennick. Um, Now, maybe with uh, the evolution of who you've become in the the public eye, people seem to be back on board. They were certainly on board through what we're going to talk about, the early part of your career and, and right through your career. But then... Do you think it was tall poppy syndrome there for a while?
2: Yeah, look, I have a persona in my life that I kind of think, wow, jealousy's a really, really crazy thing, and I'm sure that I went through that, but I also went through a period of my life, and I can say this without any hesitation, I don't really even like who I was, Ben, and Paul, I don't really like who I was, I got everything for nothing. <clears throat> I could go anywhere, any restaurant, and I never paid. i get into a taxi, they wouldn't charge me. I used to, sometimes I come home and think, wow, how great that was. Then I used to also think, as I got a little older, wow, would they do that to a homeless person? Would they help somebody who needed food? And then I think, Math, we don't even think of that. Here am I getting treated like I needed everything for nothing and got it for nothing, and I took it. And then I kind of reassessed my life back then, and I realised now that, um, yeah, I don't really like that. That Jeff Fennick back then Although I'd done some great things And some people may have loved me And loved me for what I'd achieved But I don't like who I was back then I don't What was like.
1: the cause of the reassessment? Why did you shift who you were going to be?
2: Yeah, I kind of looked in the mirror And um, who I believe is the ultimate judge in the mirror And I thought of some of the things that I'd done And been through And the problems that I'd Not just caused for myself But um, the heartache that I put my mother Father When well, my father was really here When I got in a little bit of trouble With my mother and my family And my brothers and my sisters And then when I was married, um, you know, I had a, a period of time where people would say to, to my children, "Oh, your dad's this, your dad's that," and it really it hit me hard. Ben, it hit me really, really hard to think that i um, as tough as I thought I was. Um, I didn't like to put my family through some of the yeah, some of the verbal things that people would say. And look, they still say today, but I've got to learn to live with it. I've made mistakes. I've got to be a better person for it. And I think that at this stage in my life, I I give more than anybody in the world and people ask me for things every day on Facebook and so on, I'm the first person to give it to. I was just a, a recent little example and they might verify this but um, somebody told me they brought something from a charity by the end of the night that the item was missing. So I sent them some stuff and all of a sudden some people who read it, I've got about a million people now saying, <laughs> oh, my charity. Yeah, but a lot, look, of, a lot um, of charities all of yeah, a sudden. But, yeah, but all of a sudden. But look, I, I just know that um, the person I am today, I wouldn't be without the support of the Australian public. And I'm in an opportunity and I'll have a yeah a great opportunity to give back and I'll, I want to give back.
0: Talking about some of your achievements, Jeff, your first 20 pro fights, you'd already become a three-weight division world champion. I mean, that's unbelievable by anybody's standards.
2: Yeah, well, that record was only broken uh, last year by Um he done it in less fights, but uh, he's been defeated. I was the first fighter to do it undefeated. And um, on top of that, just think of after my 23rd fight, and um, you know I'm happy that Ben's here with me because, like, I mean um, – in my first twenty-three fights, thirteen of them were for world titles, and maybe eight or nine of those were fifteen rounds. So, uh, it's it's quite a it's a great achievement that um, I don't know if Australia have really ever given me enough credit for. I don't I don't believe I have. I don't believe that anybody knows these records. Hopefully, they'll know them now. Not that I need them to know it, but I just i I done some great things for Australian sport and um, and for Australia as a whole because I was very, very loyal to my country. I um, had the majority of my fights here. Had I had them over in America and stuff, everybody would know exactly what I'd done and, and yep. how I'd done them and why I'd done them. But the reason why I stayed is because, yeah, I loved fighting in front of 15,000 screaming Australians that were screaming for Jeff Fennec.
1: What a golden era that would have been, 1985. uh, I don't know your age, Paul, but um, I was a bit too young to fully appreciate what was going on. But 1985, Jeff Fennec was winning a world title. Mike Tyson had, uh, what, a fight a month or a bit more in 1985. We had Barry Michael, Lester Ellis in Melbourne. It was just a a golden era in Australian boxing. And I think probably we were just a little bit too blessed at that point. Um, Through that period, there was so much going on and you were achieving so many things. Maybe people just started to take it for granted a little bit, do you think?
2: Yeah, when you think of it... the eighty four Olympics, I went there was a st- the team captain, which was a, an amazing um, honour for me because the fighters who represented Shay Knox, Brendan Cannon, Ricky Finch, and so they they were all much more experienced than me. But they chose me to, to lead the team, and now obviously, um, I believe I'm a, I'm a great leader. That's one of my, my strengths. I'm I'm a, I'm a leader, not a follower, and um, I came home from the Olympics without a without a medal, but. The people who were at the Olympics, the Evander Holyfields, Meldrick Taylor, Pernell Whitaker, the McCrory's, Meldrick Taylor, uh, you know, Mark Breeland. Um, I was the first guy from the 84 Olympics to win a, a world title. I was the first boxer from the 84 Olympics to be world champion, which for me is a huge honour with that list of fighters that were there.
1: And those are the sorts of guys that you now call friends as well. I know um, we spent a bit of time in Vegas and Evander Holyfield is a, a huge... Fan as well as a, a friend of yours, he's had a lot of uh, really impressive things to say.
2: Yeah, you know Ben, you know when you know you've made it. I mean, it's not when you oh, you read the record books or you you look at your record or you talk about what you've done. It's when those great fighters like the Evander Holyfields and the Mike Tyson's and so on they give you respect and when they see you, they talk about you, and that's when you know you've made it in any sport. Like I mean, when you're a great rugby league player, you hear other great rugby players. Players saying, oh, wow, how great was he, how tough was he, how good was he at this and that. And when, um, when I hear those guys wrap um, me up, and just recently, uh, Van Holyfield was uh, doing an interview and he seen me walk past and he said, that could be the toughest small guy that ever, that ever fought. To so get that rap from a guy who was a small heavyweight and fought every one of them and was amazing, was a huge rap for me I walked away from that interview with my head going, nah, you know, <laughs> of, wow, that was a van to Holyfield. It made me feel great.
1: Yeah, incredible career. Um, we're going to go through some of the stats, but uh, Jeff Fennick uh, went to the Olympics, um, turned pro 1984 uh, Australian title in his third fight um, and then a world title in, in fight number seven against Shingaki at the Horton Pavilion in Sydney. Um, an incredible start.
0: Yeah, just incredible. I mean, your statistics are, I guess, um, absolutely amazing. Your own coffee. Came to Australia, seasoned professional, mandatory challenger for your IBF world title belt. You'd only had a few, a handful of fights, twelve fights. Yeah, he, had 20,
2: yeah, he had he had twenty six at the time undefeated. But the thing was that when he came to Australia, look, he was a great amateur, and uh, he never went to the Olympics because they boycotted uh, the 80 Olympics, Moscow Olympics. And um, but uh, everybody um, in the world of boxing thought that uh, well, he was supposed to really fight Shingaki before me. But because of the great work by Bill Morty and, and the team then, and um, I got the fight, so he thought that I, you know, intercepted it and uh, he wanted to get revenge on me and when he came to Australia he said he was going to beat me and kill me and do all these things to me that I was too inexperienced and he would take me back to school and drop me off there and, um, you know, it was a 15 round fight and um, not only did I win but I know I won under extreme circumstances because I know the referee definitely didn't let me fight the way Jeff Fennick fights and I'm not saying that, yeah, but, through that, but <clears throat> when I go back and watch some later on, some later f- uh, fights of coffee, he has the same referee in there all the time. So Rudy Battle had refereed him on a few occasions, and I don't care what anybody says. The referees in boxing still today, they cheat for their promoter. Joe Cortez who's one of the great referees, people say he one million percent cheated when I for Zuma Nelson, he had one million percent not cheated, but he was biased. He was pushing me back, letting Zuma do what he wanted to do. And um, Ricky Hatton says the same thing about him. So i look I'm just saying. I just know that people have agendas, and they know when they're getting in the ring who they have to look after. And referees and judges are all the same because when they go overseas to referee and judge, a certain promoter sends them over, and that's a holiday for them. It's not just a job; it's a, a holiday. They go there, they get food sent to their room, they get. Other items into their room that walk in on their own and walk out a little later in the night, no, that's, that's boxing. That's part and parcel of the game. And um, <coughs> for me, I that upsets me because two guys were out there working for months for a result. And these guys can alter it. And they altered it. They altered my result in um, in Las Vegas. The judges altered it. One great thing that one of the judges never judged again because he knew when he watched the fight again how, how badly he judged. And I was only talking to somebody the other day and – it was a crazy thing that they said. Well, Jeff and I was talking to uh, Ellie, Ellie Sech back in America, and he said, "Jeff, why didn't they protest? Why don't they go and, and have a look at the cards?" in well, I don't know why that didn't happen, but I wish it did because I would be four-wheel t- four-time world champion today. Because there's not a there's not a question that who won the first Zoom Nelson Jeff Finney fight. And I'm not saying anything about him because what a great human, what a great fighter he is, Came back and knocked me out, but. I should be for a four-time world champion. That would have been in six years. Floyd Mayweather took ten years to win four world titles. That was in my sixth year. I had two years off with broken hands.
1: How many times have you gone back and watched the first and Nelson fight? Do you watch it? Do you watch it regularly? Because, like I've watched it a, a lot of times, and you see something different every time. But what you really notice is uh, the distaste in your mouth standing next to Don King at center ring when he's saying, "Oh, let's do it again. Let's do it again." Um, wh- wh- how do you when you watch that back? What do you see in a young Jeff Fenning?
2: Um, yeah the, the the hungry guy that knew that he 'd won the fight right. the guy that knew that he was just that he was just robbed That um yeah that he, look if if you hear the commentary, if you hear the the score at the end of the fight one seventeen one twelve and that's his exact words were that 's being generous to Zuma nelson how can how can it be a draw mm. if you watched the last round, had I not held him? He falls, yeah, sure you know. Thing, yeah. I, uh, had it been a 15 round fight, I knock him out. Had they not lost the mouth guard, I still think I knock him out because he had another minute there. So, there were a lot of things that happened at the time. That and, and like I said, the mouth guard wasn't lost, it was put in somebody's pockets. It's even And all I can say is, I take my hat off to that guy who done that because yeah. wow, you he saved the Zuma Nelson. But, like I said, um, yeah, it's it's sad for me. I don't watch it anymore, I don't need to watch yeah. it because I know what I've done, but um. Uh, Look, um, all I know is that, like I said, after it, he came back and, wow, what what an amazing athlete, what an amazing character he must be to have had the audacity and the, the, the mental... Part of him to say, I'm going to get back on the plane, I like, can beat Jeff Fennig, m- must be amazing. And yeah, he, he come and done that. Like I said, he didn't fight the Jeff Fennec, he fought in Vegas. That's for sure. I can guarantee that. I don't want to make excuses, but no, I wasn't that guy. Bro. What was
1: the difference? What happened in that period between Nelson 1 and 2?
2: If we can find about 20 or 30 girls in the last week, we can <laughs> put a bit of blame on those. But no, but no. Um, look, um, I wasn't as hungry, Ben. Yeah. I, look, I, ben, I never went out before a fight. I never went in. anything. I was doing... Um, uh, appearances. I I'd had my own clothing line come out. and had these leather jackets. I'm going down to Mize and trying to sell. And as I'm in Mize trying to sell things, these these model girls are there. And after I'd sell sell some shirts or something, I'd you know obviously yep. try to sell myself. And yeah, but it, it was it was it was crazy times. I, I, like again, again, I thought I was bigger than the sport itself. I thought that, and I, I didn't think I could lose because I thought, wow, those they weren't the hardest twelve rounds of my career. Let me guarantee you that. And they weren't the easiest. But I thought that I won the fight easily, and I thought that i would continue to do that round round one of the next fight would be around 13 14 and i would eventually not consuming us now but that was my mental attitude and it was the wrong one mm.
0: why do you think your mindset changed between that draw in vegas because you're already hugely famous before going to yeah. vegas you obviously came back and you're even more famous at that particular time but what do you think changed in terms of your mindset
2: um
0: or why did it change
2: couple of million dollars I was going to get paid for the next fight and uh, the money that I'd got that I'd been promised and my life story was just about to, to be told so oh yeah you the one thing I, I try to tell everybody fame and fortune changes everybody anybody tells them they don't change when they become rich and famous and yeah, it's it's bullshit because you change automatically and I remember when I used to be asked the question all the time have you changed it nah I'm still the same I'm that guy from I wasn't no guy from Arizona I thought I was from Las Clues or Las Vegas or somewhere else. And um, um, yeah, I lost my hunger. I I always tell people there's a path that gets you there, and that path that got you there, you got to stay on it. Once you once you waver and once you take a little exit, um, it's not the same. And no, I took a lot of exits. I went from running at five thirty every morning. I'd say, look, I'm still running. If I run at seven or eight, as long as I'm you know, and I usually cooked all my food at home and ate at home. Then I'd eat at restaurants and tell them that to make sure they steam The vegetables I was eating there were the ones from that were made days ago. But I'm just saying, I, I defeated myself because I I got off the, the track that I was on that, that took me to success.
1: What was the um, greatest win of your career for yourself? Uh, so many incredible victories, so many world title fights and so many truly meaningful fights, but which one stands out for you?
2: Uh, I really talk about two. I talk about beating Steve McCrory. Yeah, And the reason why I talk about beating Steve was... Um, I'd broken my hand prior to the fight. They put me on a health farm because I couldn't I couldn't punch. And, um, so I was doing other training, but I was eating the special food that was supposed to make me make weight. Uh, two days before, I was still about eight, eight or nine pounds over. And um, I had a talk to Bill Morty, and Bill Morty said to me, son, we're going to, just not fight for the world title. You're still gonna fight, but you'll go and you won't make weight, so the fight won't be for the title. Do the best you can, get as close as you can to making the weight. And um we'll just have the fight, but it won't be for the title. And I said I agreed at the time, I said, no problem. And then um I was trying to ring Bill Morton him in the night. I just couldn't I couldn't sleep. It from the time I got home, and then um the morning of the fight, I'll never forget it, I put some plastics on, put some sweating cream on and I did my five K run, I had Peter Matreski with me, who was always with me um, throughout my career and running and helping me in, in, in more ways than one. And I uh, got on the scales, went down there, put the heaters on, sat there and um, still like three or four pounds over. I said, Peter, I'm going to have to do it again. He said, no, Jeff, just don't worry about it. You're going to be, no, I'm doing So I ran again, did the five and a half K again and went and sat down with my sweat gear on in front of the heater, still hadn't made weight. Did it again. This is on the day of the fight. So I've now run 15, 15 16 kilometres um, in sweats and hadn't eaten or drank for a couple of days and got on the scale and I was still just a tiny bit over. Like it was just balancing. I thought, man, I think by the time I go to the Wayne I'm going to make weight. So I just sat there and I went to the Wayne and I'll never forget it. I got on the scales and the scales, did they kind of were moving but they never went up, they never they never hit the top and um, the, the matchmaker back then, the guys who Jeff Fenneck, 118 pounds. I jumped off straight off of my mother's. And Emmanuel Stewart was the yeah, trainer yeah, of Steve yeah. McCoy. Emmanuel Stewart. was oh, a great man. M- yeah. Maybe the greatest trainer that ever lived. Yeah. But in, um, I went straight off the scale, went straight into drinking and having my mother's ravioli that she mm-hmm. made me for every fight, and part of my mum's pasta. And just as I've like swallowed three or four in, um, raviolis and drank a litre of water or, or or soft drink at the time, Emmanuel Stewart's calling me back on the scales saying he didn't make weight, somebody's touched him from behind, yeah. he has to, you know... Is there any it. truth to that? No, 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 no. no. Okay. I've I always made weight. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I might have... Because he was oh, proper angry yeah, about Yeah, of course, it. yeah. Yeah, of course he was. He, yeah, he'd he seen me drink and yeah. eat. He's not stupid. If, yeah, I, yeah. if it went like that, then I'd, I drank a litre of water, what was going to happen next? Yeah. i I'll be in the, the sauna for of the two hours to, to make weight. So he was very clever, but like I said, all I said was... The official called weight. And he said, "I made weight. I've made weight." Yeah. So and that's it. I've now eaten. So it was too late. So yeah, the fight went on. And um, look, the reason why I love that fight not so much not because I had the broken hand, but that was the guy who put me on the map in boxing because when I my decision was overturned, he went on to win the gold medal. And people were saying, "Could Jeff Fennick have beaten him?" Yeah, you know. And that, so I beat the Olympic gold medalist. All the all the odds that were down and out saying that I got robbed the Olympics knew that I vindicated that. In a way, I did because I would have much preferred to have a gold medal on my, on my shelf. Yep. That would have meant so much to me. But I, I beat the Olympic gold medalist. And then my, the, the other fight again was when I fought for my third world title against Victor Collegius when I had a broken hand. And it was, uh, wow, it was one of the toughest, dirtiest fights I've ever been in. When vendors Holyfield feel sat down and watched that fight, he just, he stands up. Aah! There's more elbows down. than punches uh, in that uh, fight. it's well, a tough and, fight. Yeah. And, and more headbutts. Than, than, yeah. Than, than, yeah, so it, it was very, very tough. And when you only can use one hand... Because after about the second or third round, mm. I was in so much pain, I couldn't use the, use the hand anymore. You just got to watch your fight. So I was sometimes – and my left hand is nowhere near my, my strong hand. Mm. And I was throwing 20, 30 left hands to one. Yeah. and uh, Leaping yeah. jabs and stuff. You yeah, jabs and to the hooks and that, yeah. But, yeah, so the, them two fights really um, – I loved my performances. You know, like against Samar Packer and Wow, I killed him, which, which – I was at my best, but those two fights, I had to really fight hard.
0: You won your third world title, Jeff, uh, then for the tough Mexican Villasana. Then after that fight, you retired. Um, What was the story behind that? Yeah,
2: people really don't know the real reason. The People think that I retired because I had broken hands. I had broken hands every fight. And although after that fight, wow, they were were sore and broken and busted up. and um, it It was the first fight that I'd ever been managed by a proper management company, IMG Management, me, mm. and they found out that, yeah, there was a lot of money there that has disappeared and I should have been getting or I wasn't getting. And uh, when they um, managed me for that fight, I went from getting a certain amount of money to over-tripling it in one fight. And there still was money missing. And when that happened, I will never forget it, I, um, as i walking down the tennis centre into the press conference, had, I could never forget Bill Morty's yeah, you know, and he was, as happy as he was that I won, he was still complaining about IMG, so I had uh, Bill Morty and, and his partner at the time, Colin Love, I might not have been there, but Bill Morty had lost, yeah, a lot of a lot of his profit for once, so I'd, and I'd finally got something for fighting, you know, and um, kept saying and saying, and, and Johnny started talking to me about it, and then they'd start questioning, should I have these people look after me? So, me being so naive and loyal and stupid, I, I don't use IMG anymore. I let Bill Morty just look after my career because I felt sorry for him. But prior to that, I was under so much pressure that I that I did. I, I said, I'm not going to fight anymore. And it wasn't because of my hands. Yeah. It's because I, I didn't want to see Bill upset. I didn't want to see these people I was And I didn't want me to be the, in the middle because I just couldn't handle it. I didn't know how to handle it back then. Yeah. Today would be completely different. But back then, I didn't know what to do. All I, th- all I thought was, here's the man who's helped me from the start, Bill Morty. and have it. Are these people robbing me? Uh, am I getting too much? And I didn't know, so I, I retired.
1: So how do you look back on your association with Bill Morty overall now with the benefit of this hindsight?
2: Um, I look back and I think to myself that uh, without him um, or without meeting them, it, it would have been a tougher road, much, uh, much, much tougher. But I also look back and I think that my association with Bill Morty and my then manager, Colin Love, um was disastrous and it was more disastrous because johnny lewis made me trust them especially my manager colin love made me totally trust them and them, they worked for themselves they didn't work for me and like i said I, I can give you one example one of the great men in boxing to this day still around his name is don majeski came to my house and told me that there's a certain uh, point in time that i have to pay the matchmaker at 10 of my purse and i said I oh, done yeah, no problem because yeah, I thought that wow what a great job he's doing because i have beating everybody, beaten all these weight fighters and he's the guy who picks him something well wow, you know. anyway so when he came to my house to meet me and he asked me um about what I got from my last fight and I told him he was wider than Casper when I told him what I got and he thought I can't take any money if that's all you're getting here well, he was yeah again he was misled and he was told you know false things that I was getting. X amount of dollars when I was getting nowhere near, and then um, yeah, yeah, it started making me think, and uh, that's when I started doing a few more things on my own and getting some some good people around me. I got Theo on us for Rue around me, thanks to the Packers and James and Kerry, and got Theo in to help me. And um, if it wasn't for Theo, um, I'll never forget the, the negotiation series that he went through with them. Um, Don King was he said Jeff was like he enjoyed it. He said he enjoyed it, but he said it was the like, it was like. You're playing tennis, back, yeah. which is back and forward, back and forward. And at the end of that, day, like I said, I got my highest money ever when Theo looked after me and, um, you know, when I fought as Zoom and Nelson in the rematch, I got twice as much as Nelson. So. And I think I deserved it anyway, but, um, you know, um, that's, that's boxing.
1: What about Don King? How do you look back on oh, – what, what do you think of Don King now? Yeah,
2: I think the same. You know, everybody says how he robbed them and yeah. he done this and that. Everybody mm-hmm. talks – but listen, Don King gave me the most money I ever got paid. Yeah. And um, I was very lucky that at that time Theo – had a look at the whole situation. You know, when you hear these fighters they saying, man, he only gave me $3 million. Well, I look at it today and I think, well, if they, it's their fault because they got more than they ever got before, but mm. it's their fault because they didn't do the numbers and stuff. You know, And I know one thing, that when Costa Zoo signed with Bill Morty, I'd helped him. I went to the Packers. Uh, he got his own deal with Sky Channel, where I never got no money out of Sky Channel the, the promoter got the money, and then I got paid. And, and so, so Costa was very, very blessed that I went through what I went through, and I seen the good things, and the bad things that happened to me, and um, most most good things happened to Costa. Like, he, like I said, he had his own pay TV deal. He had yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was yeah, he was it was it was great. So I mean, like I said, that it's great that somebody else benefits from my mistakes or from me. But, you know, that, that's what happens in life.
1: Was that your biggest purse, Nelson too? Yeah, definitely. By yeah. a long way? Yeah, by a long way, yeah. What sort of money are we talking, uh, what sort of ballpark? Yeah,
2: a yeah. couple of million. Okay. Yeah. And prior to that, just think of this. Just think of in nine eighty five In nine eighty five. when I gross Bruce Springsteen at the box office, yeah. you know, I got $100,000. And when you think you've got to pay, you're trying to 25% and then you pay the, the X's and your expenses and this and that, It's not a lot of money. Although back then it was a lot of money and that's what I was – led to believe because Johnny Lewis said oh, nobody else has ever got that but what Johnny Lewis didn't do for me and he should have done for me was sat down and said well there's 12,000 people here at $100 that's $1.2 million it just, um, there's Sky Channel here there's um, sponsorship and they never done that and um, I just they, they just offered me a person. and, well, I didn't accept, Johnny and my manager accepted. And what I find out later in my career is that my manager was 50% in the promotion, so he wasn't going to give me any more and, um, you know, I spoke to him about that and he denies it, but I Bill Morty told me, so I believe Bill Morty and, um, simple, I'm not
0: stupid. What was your relationship like with Kerry Packer? You mentioned the Packers and you were around them at that, that particular time.
2: Yeah, it's a crazy, it was crazy. The first The first communication I got to do anything with the Packers was that Jamie was having his... Could been 21st birthday. Yep. Yeah. And they wanted to meet a boxing exhibition at at his house. They're gonna put a ring up. <laughs> um this is how I feel. This is exactly like, what well, I'm going to box for no excuse me. I'm, I know they swear on these boys. I'm not gonna box for no fucking for no rich boys. I'm gonna go out and yeah. so I kinda of, and, and John Singleton, I didn't do it. But I said, uh, then later on, James wanted to meet me. We met and we clicked straight away. We um yeah, we had an amazing friendship and relationship for a long time and then his dad um, died and was brought back to life thanks to the defibrillator. Mm. And um, the only one that was yeah, in that yeah, ambulance yeah. at the time was he wouldn't have been around for a lot longer. And he asked me, would I train him? I said, wow, I'd love to. So I jumped straight in. I started helping Mr. Packer and had the most amazing part of my life, being able to train him, talk to him and learn little things from him. And I'm not just saying this, but Kerry used to say, he said, son, I don't know bet your education, but... You're smart enough to run the country. You're the kind of person. He used to give me the biggest traps. He really liked being with me, and I loved being with him. And like I said, we travel the world together. And um, yeah, I learned. I learned so much from the man. I like, mean, he looked after me so well. I was just like, yeah, I was, he treating me like he treated his son.
0: Yep, amazing.
1: You um, you still do have a special friendship with Mike Tyson that um, people are still fascinated by. I see in the last few weeks, every time you've made a comment about Tyson, I know you told the story about when he got the tattoo and you were training him, and and they still go viral every time. People seem to uh, have have a fascination with Mike Tyson, but with your relationship with him as well.
2: Yeah, they love him, and um, I love him, I think. The first time I met him, Ben, I just got an award. It could be 1986. Ray Lynn got the box with you know, I got the runner-up. And, of course, Mike arrived late. But I'm sitting there, standing, and um, just waiting to go and get this award. And Mike Tyson there, uh, Jeff Finley, Jeff Finley. Oh, you're a great one. He knows me, and all you know. Yeah, yeah. And it just slowly, it slowly grew from then. And um, yeah, I now obviously trained him, been around the world with him. I've lived with him. I've I've done so many things with him, and um it's 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 just been an amazing roller coaster. Like I said, I've I've been there at the top with him. I've been there at the bottom. I tell a story that um I was doing a his own range of boxing equipment. Ben, I went to Vegas, Suji, and I to to see him, and um couldn't find him for a couple of days, and they finally told me where he was. So I go to this house, and I walk in the house, and here's Mike on a lounge with just a towel around him, nothing else, and um. Asleep. Well, he looked dead to me. There was a, a, a plate just beside him with all these chicken bones that were, had been there for at least a couple of days because they, were, they mm. were brown and black. Yeah, right. and, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to wake him up, and there uh, slowly awakes. And the first thing he does is he grows one of those bones and starts putting it in his mouth, eating and chewing. And, and then I try to explain to him, Mike. I've just done all this stuff you told me to do. I've got the gloves already. Would you like to look at them or whatever? You know, I didn't really know what to say. Anyway, I left the gloves there because I. We couldn't talk. He couldn't talk. Yeah. God I love him. And um, I left the house today I'll never forget. I walked out the f- front and I grabbed my wife's shoes. I just burst out crying and thought, "Well, wow, I'm never going to see my, gr- my great friend again. Since then, look, all I can say is, well, what an amazing human he is. Uh, he's changed his life around totally. He has an amazing wife and amazing family. And um, he's kicking butt today. He's got his own podcast. He's got his own ranch. Uh, you know, um, there's no smoke in this room. But uh, if you go into his room, holy smoke. Yeah. It's smoky. But like I said, I'm um, um, – what a what a great thing that happened to me, been When I was able to to train the great Mike Tyson.
0: And what was it like to train Tyson?
2: It was uh, it was it was a roller coaster because you had to you had to play games with him every day to get him there. I, I was one of these guys who was very smart at that because you know I was very similar to Mike Tyson. I was brought up with by a, a beautiful man by the name of Johnny Lewis, who was very similar to Cus So we had very very similar. Upbringings in the boxing industry, so I knew what I had to do for him. I knew what Johnny had done for me. I knew what Cus done for, me. and I knew what I had to do for my. You know, I'd run with him in the mornings. I'd make him his breakfast. I'd make make everything be as great as I can to make sure that he was going to be there in the afternoon. Because between ten and two, or ten and three, but the next time I'm going to see him, he might be on the phone or, or, or a. A hundred different people might come and see him from Bobby Brown to anybody you, you, you can mention. And it's not easy. It's, it's not hard for him just to snap and get up and go and all of a sudden you're at the gym and Mike's not there. Yeah. So it was a hard job. But look, I loved it and I loved trying to help my friend. He's my friend. I didn't I didn't treat it as a – I knew it was the end of his career, so I didn't really treat it as um, trying to make Mike win the world title. Like, I just tried to look after him and do the best I could for him as a
1: friend. What percentage of sessions do you reckon he missed, Mike? A couple. <laughs> I'm not good at the percentage. I'm, I'm not good at the maths. I told him I got robbed all my life. So no,
2: no. But he missed a couple. There, 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 look, there was a, a time then when uh, he told me, and we trained so great for three or four weeks in Phoenix. We were running through this canal every day and we are doing everything. It was amazing. And I was so proud of him. Eating properly, losing weight, just getting so fit. And he said, He said, Jeffrey, you know, I've been training really well. Do you mind if I go to this pigeon show for a couple of days? No, this was uh, Friday. I said, Look, Mike. You can have Saturday, and Sunday off no problem. Try and really, we're r- in advance. I knew they were in advance because I, I was training. I knew what we done. I knew what I put him through. Um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. Wow! Yeah, the pigeons must have been got, must have got lost. <laughs> yeah, he must have been flying with. But anyway, but yeah, and, and then. I had to start all over again, so it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy job. Yeah, it was hard. And um, like I said, when I when he had the tattoo on his face, just think of this man. I was there for over six weeks. I trained him to fight Cliff Aretian. I went home four days before the fight. He fights Freddie Rochers is his trainer. I trained him for the whole fight. I'm not taking it. Any- credit from Freddie or not. I know what i done for the whole fight and, um, and i seen him and he didn't want to fight that's the reason why I got on a plane at home if he said to me I'll, I'll fight with this I would have sat there you know. Well, maybe I wouldn't have because I didn't want him to fight what
1: was his mental state like at that point because th- that was that seems yeah. to be when he was well and truly off yeah, the rails but,
2: but prior to that we were training great this day I go to the gym he just doesn't turn up and that was Mike Mike was Mike and Ali are both famous. Ali says about the light switch, how he could switch it off and be in bed. Well, Mike is the light switch. You're not sure when he's on and off. Mike's the switch. But um, all I can say is, like I said, um, everything was going great. And then one day, I don't know, that that light switch uh, didn't light up. And uh, he just went and got this crazy tattoo on his face that is famous today. You know, um, what can you say? I don't know what they say, really.
1: Yeah, yes, um, but it was disappointing for me. It would have been, yeah.
2: I mean, I went and stayed. I, I, I was living at Mike's house at the time that night. I went and stayed at um, the Central Station Casino with a friend of mine. I sat there in tears, talking to him. So I'm going to come home, I money. Mean, nah, no, I just know that I'm going to come home either. I because Mike. Um, thing was, I didn't think he could fight. You can't fight with a tattoo if it's a fresh tattoo, you'll get infected. Yeah. Something, he, it's on his head, so you know, if he's gonna get punch <laughs> in the face, this tattoo's gonna go all smudge, or oh, I didn't know because i am had a tattoo. Yeah. And I went home, and like I said, get off the plane, sit down the next couple of days, here's Mike, and bang, he's, he's fighting, knocks out Clifford at the in one round.
0: What were the conversations like after he fought? You obviously didn't expect him to fight, you've come back home, he's in the ring four days later. What's What's your first conversation with Mike Tyson after that?
2: I didn't even bring it up, I never spoke to him about it. Yep. Um. I went back then, I worked with him again after it. And the other reason I went back is because pretty simple for me. I love the guy. I love him. And I went there knowing that he needs somebody who's going to help him. And again, there were the times when he went with the pigeon, but I still stayed with him this time. This time I didn't go on the plane to go home. It wasn't monetary. It was for the health and welfare of Mike Tyson. And I, I know he knows it. I know his family knows it. I've always looked after him. Like I said, I cooked for him every day. I done everything for him for his family. And um, in that fight when I stopped it. Um, People no, they, Nobody wanted me to stop the fight I said listen My exact words were I'm the fucking trainer The fight's getting stopped I'm Sorry for swearing But I just, they were my exact words To the corner I'm the fucking trainer I'm stopping the fight And, they, and I stopped the fight And I'll never forget As we're walking back been through the crowd People were throwing cans At him and I You know mm-hmm. So what I did Bang Straight up through I jumped over a couple And I'm in mean, no fight Yeah They're going to throw yeah. cans at Mike You know the Disrespectful Whatever they were You know It was alright when he was winning And everybody yeah, was enjoying it but Yeah so that, that's why And I'm really really proud Of what I'd done that day And I'm and proud what, to this day
1: Is he He's fine with you Stopping the fight uh, Of, of course, course he was yeah, yeah 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 He
2: didn't want to fight Yeah of course mm. he, Yeah mm. of course yeah. yeah. It was written all over his face Yeah, I see that And he didn't need to be there And he didn't need to get punched One more time
1: um, I was looking through some stuff the other day. You and Mike were ringside when Jeff Harding beat Dennis Andres. Yeah. Um, where does that rank in one of in, in in as a boxing fan or a viewer? Where does that uh, rank as the greatest performances well, you've ever seen? The
2: funniest thing was ever because I took Mike in the, to meet Jeff And that, and yeah. the, um, Donald Trump was there. Yeah, so of we're, course. We were with Donald Trump and we're talking to Donald Trump and we sitting there and donking and I of course I wrapped up my my gym mate, and told him how tough he was and how he can do this and he's going to do that and. After the first few rounds, Mike just kept looking at me and like hitting me in the roof, saying, "Jeff, do you, do you know what? You're, yeah, you're as easy, do you know what you're talking about. Are you sure about this guy? Are you sure about this guy?" I said, "Don't worry, he's not he's not going nowhere." Because I, cousin, I knew Jeff Harding. I sparred with him hundreds and hundreds of rounds, and and all of a sudden the fight started to change. And Mike, I swear, was like a little kid. He's yeah, jumped jumping up and down with that with that voice of his, yeah, <laughs> And when he won, Mom, me and Mike, uh, we were. Wow, over the moon. It was like, for me, it was wow. I was playing rugby league at the time, I was re- retired.
1: Yeah. So,
2: as soon as I got on that plane, I wanted to fight again. Yeah.
1: Was was that right? So ah, that, that was the saying. moment you went, don't ah, worry about the financial yeah. problems Excuse of their me. hands, let's do it.
2: Fuck trying to be, be still. I'll Take Sterlow's <laughs> with Michael Mosley's, forget that, mate. I wanna, I'm doing what I know how to do best. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it was a huge lift. Yeah, but while I was in Atlantic City, got in a little bit of trouble, And Donald, um, uh, um Got in patrol, I got a couple of fights here 'cause um yeah, I was uh playing in the casino, so maybe might, might tell those stories another, day, but yeah, it was crazy. I got um, in a crazy couple of fights there. <laughs> Sat in one of the the, uh, the big um, bosses of the ABC T V at the time, Bobby Allen was there with me. And um he can tell the story better than me because there's two guys about two fifty, three hundred pounds and uh trying to throw a little Peter Metrisky out of the nightclub. So um yeah, I went a little wild and I knocked them both out, so it was crazy, it was just a crazy night, and then we went to a casino, and I had an, another big altercation occasion with um, a guy who slapped me because I, he thought I played blackjack wrong, and um, right. yeah, and uh, security all came, they told me, do you want us to do something about it, I said, no, nah, it's fine, I said, look, just don't worry about it, so I said, I'm fine, so I just pretended I went to sit down, as I went to sit down, I hit him once, and he was um, on the floor, and uh, so I, that night I couldn't go back to the hotel, I had to. Going to hide because the police are looking for me and damn um, the craziest thing ever happened. That at about three or four in the morning, the word is that this person who's knocked these people out is the Australian boxer. So they go to Jeff Harding's room. Yeah, that's
1: right. And they wake up <laughs> Jeff Harding, they're
2: trying to arrest Jeff Harding. And Jeff Harding's going, <coughs> Fighting! I'm fighting for the world title. Totally. I'm being out drinking and I'm being out fighting. Stitch up. Well, well, they went there because they heard it was just Australian the wrong. Boxer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just the wrong Australian boxer, But yeah, thank God for that. And um, yeah, I hid for a little while, and went to the fight, and went home. And after seeing that rush, watching Jeff Harding do what he done, maybe in one of the the greatest upsets in boxing history, or one of the greatest performances in boxing history, by somebody who was everybody thought was down and out. And yeah. Got off the plane and I rang Parramatta, uh, club up and said, "Listen, you can keep that dollar a week I oh get. Yeah, I'm going back to boxing." Yeah, yeah.
1: Good decision. Um, uh, what about Donald Trump? Did you have much to do with him outside? Of the, obviously, he was the promoter then and had a bit to do with yeah. that fight and others. I, but
2: I, I spoke to him and uh, Mike, with Mike a couple of times and met him, photos and yeah, sat yeah. with him ringside and had some great conversations with him. But like I said, when I uh, think of it today, one of the reasons why I always applaud his. Position that he's in today is because he knows what happens in the world. He's mm. been one of those guys. He, all right, he might be the cleverest guy, <laughs> but
1: he mightn't he, be. Yeah, but
2: he, he, no, he mightn't be Ben, but he knows. Listen, do you think every building that he built in New York, he didn't have to pay? you had to go and see the, the mob, or do? of course he did. Yeah. He knows how the world operates. He's yeah. So for me, that's 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 why I'd always think Kerry Pack would have been the greatest prime minister in Australia because. <laughs> He knew what it took to, yeah, to to do things good and bad. And then listen, of course you've got to change, and Donald Trump's changed, he's doing everything the best he can today, but he knows what else happens out there. That's why I, I support him.
1: Um Do you think Don King would have made a good president then?
2: Definitely not. <laughs>
1: why not? Don, Don, Don chunky promoters? Yeah, no, yeah. No, <laughs> he
2: wasn't the promoter. The, um, Donald Trump wasn't the brother. Don's... One for you, eight for me. If it's one for you, two for me, it's not too bad. But Yeah, yeah you know. But no, I don't sing. yeah. And, and Don, well, they're both loud, but yeah, Don is just a little bit, a little bit too out there for me. Yep,
0: Jeff, you've been around some great champions um, over the years. You know, Tyson, Hollyford, all those sort of guys. Jeff Harding. What do you think made you such a great champion?
2: Well, Paul, I really don't know because I never wanted to box in my life. I wanted to be a football player. I I'd honestly believe i to say this in front of, hopefully, the whole world listening listen to me, that. Every single person is born with an amazing ability to do something. I just was blessed that I found it. I was blessed that I walked into a gym and I sat there and, for the wrong reason, but I seen Johnny Lewis and Johnny Lewis said something and I commented on what he said and then I went back to the gym the next day. I sparred and I was there. I, I found it. I found what I was born to be and I, you know, I was... As much as I loved rugby league, I still never would have made it. I was too small back then. Imagine being 19 or when I was 20 or 21. I was 118 pounds. What would happen to me in rugby? But I still played rugby league and I loved it. But uh, So I was just blessed that I found what I was great at. And um, totally, again, like I said by accident, and I met a great man that could keep me motivated and, and give me goals that were achievable. He would set me goals all the time. Johnny had always... Always would set me a goal and say, "Jeff, we can do this, or you can do this." And the more I done it, the more I believed in him, and the more I, uh, I achieved. So I am just blessed that I found boxing. But like I said, um, uh, like I said, most guys when you talk, how long, When did you start boxing? Seven or eight? And then me, seven and a half. So it's mm. completely different.
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: Now you mentioned Johnny Lewis a few times. Um, any chance that we'll have Johnny as a guest?
2: No, yep. you can have him as a guest if you want. Nah, look uh, okay, him. Um, no, I don't know, but I yeah, know, you you no. don't
1: talk to Johnny Lewis anymore. No. And it's a it's a sad part of Australian boxing that you two are not friendly any anymore. Um, two legends of the sport. is there any chance we patch up that relationship? Uh, you know st- what,
2: Ben, I would love to put him on that microphone there with you and yep. and talk to him and let me ask him the questions I'd like to ask him. And let him answer mostly. The reason why Johnny and, and I and I say this without any doubt. Johnny will never say a bad word about Jeff, he, not because of anything. He said, We can't, because I tell the truth, Ben. I don't lie about Johnny. I love Johnny Lewis. I, love him. I loved him more than I loved my own family. I gave him more than I gave my own family. I paid the trainer 25% of everything I ever got, plus more when a trainer gets 10%. So let's, let's just cancel those things out. I'd love to see Johnny down there, and I'd love to say to Johnny, Yeah, yeah I'd love to ask him a few questions. Why, and for instance, why when I lost the Instagram coffee, when I was. 30-something stitches in my mouth for the worst I've ever been. What? Where were you? Where were you for weeks? ask my wife. I'd cry every day. I'd sit in my bedroom and cry. I'd go to Dolly's, I'd, I'd hang up and say, he's got to ring me. He should be ringing me. But yeah, um, I'd love to ask him some questions. Yeah, yeah like I said, fame and fortune change everybody. And I know one thing about Johnny, and I don't say this in a bad way, but um, Johnny may still have his first $20. And his next 20 and 20 and 20 and 20 and 20 after that. He may have a wall because he's there. Johnny does love his money.
1: Whether or not we get Johnny on the show, we're going to have a lot of um, your friends. Is that the idea? Um, talking to a lot of the, the people that Jeff's come across?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on this wall behind us, Jeff, we've got photos of some of the biggest celebrities in the world. Um, have you got an interesting story about any of them? You'll be on this soon. Don't worry,
2: Chuck. <laughs> oh, you
0: i met you. too late. No, but no, I've got some great stories. I'll tell you what I want to do. I'm
2: gonna, I want to try to do my first podcast with somebody that is really, really hard to pin down. Not many people talk to him, but he's been, irrespective of what anybody says, like the other day I put a photo of he and I, I won't mention him until a second, but I put a photo of he and I on Facebook. Somebody had to write something, Man, you know, these tough keyboard warriors, no, I don't like one of the guys in the photos. Well, I do like him. I like him, lot, well. his name's Johnny Bram, he's one of my great friends, he's been around me for a long, long time. And and again, I met him um, maybe through some unforeseen reasons. I was in a club one night and his brother and I were having a bit of an argument. John came straight over and and intervened. But I also remember one thing when you talk about friends, and I want you to know this, Ben, because I'm going to say this to you now. When I just had my heart operation and was back in hospital in Sydney, Johnny Lewis hasn't come to see me once, hasn't gave me a message. When I was hit in Brightly Sands with a bottle and assaulted, When my eyes opened in the morning, Johnny Brim was at my bedside. So, yeah, that's that's all I can say. Johnny Lewis hasn't spoke to me once. Yeah, And I can get... I, oh, see, I, don't, I don't like being this so, up. Listen, while I was in hospital, I went and visited a beautiful man. He's a lovely guy. His name's Billy Tracy. His daughter yep. and his son-in-law, and my uh, my wife and I, best friends, Steve Castley and Karen. They're amazing people. We love them. And might you know? But Billy Tracy was downstairs in the hospital. So, I... In hospital, so yeah, yeah. I went down to visit him and it killed me. As much as I loved going to visit him, what he said to me that day was like, I just had a knife phew, put through my chest and twisted around 20,000 20, times. Just said me, oh, how good's this? He says, Johnny Lewis visited me earlier now, Jeff Fetty. Oh, I'm in the same hospital. So I don't have to say any more. Let's leave it at that.
0: That made me cry.
1: Um. So John Ibrahim's on the next show, is that the, is well,
0: that right? John Ibrahim, I think he's agreed to come on, hasn't he, okay. Yeah,
2: John's agreed. I'm going to try to get my other uh, fa- no, fa- fabulous friend, Kyle Sandlands, and I'm going to try to grab them, and then I'll try to grab some of the, the great sporting people. Like, I'll speak to Michael Clark. I'd love to talk to him, Warney, uh, Andrew Johns, and, and so on. I'd love to do more with a lot of the rugby league players. Dave Lilliard, I love Dave, Dave, um, Dave tells a story, he said, Jeff, I'll never forget it, when um, my first game of Rugby League, he didn't know what happened, he, he turned up to the ground, he said, all he could see was hundreds and hundreds of cameras at um, Parramatta Stadium where we were playing it. and he said, the first thing he thought, has hey, Jack Gibson or somebody died, he thought he sent him. he said, then he seen that I was playing, so there was he said he couldn't believe how many cameras there is. I've never seen that many cameras in my life, you know. So, no, just I've got some great stories to tell. I've got some great, you know. What I'd like to do is I'll, when I interview these guys at the end of it, I want to ask them three questions, you know, the, um, certain questions that I want everybody to answer mm-hmm. their best experience with me, maybe their worst experience with me, and why. Yep. And why we're mates. So, I'm going to do that, and I think it's going to. Um. Be some great some
1: great talking For sure Is there a chance we'll get Mike Tyson on from On the phone or, or something
2: I'd be able to do that No yep. problem Yeah I'd be able to do that No problem Good. I'd just ring up Pab His beautiful wife Kiki i just done Mike's podcast While I was over there I'm not sure yeah. when they're going to play But I'm sure that he would do the same for me And we can get Hollyfield and Lennox And everybody else So it, it could be great And you know we, were, we had a great time over there With Lennox Lewis We did night, yeah, you know? yeah yeah. That spa uh, you had with him When you dropped him <laughs> then, Wow <laughs> you I didn't think swing. he was going to get up yeah, Well we got up But you know it was, but it was he's after the has got the eight. biggest hands
1: of any man I've ever seen, Lennox Lewis. And he's got st- the he's got the rings on. But you were
2: still able to get inside. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. You know, it was tough, but we got yeah. there. Yeah. Mm.
1: Now, um, yeah, we're well, looking forward to, to talking to all those people. It's been a, a pleasure to meet them through you um, in Vegas, and uh, yeah, should be should be exciting. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
2: Well, let's just say this is the start of standing eight. Let's get into it.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, guys Thank you